Hello and welcome to another exciting, and you guessed it, it's jam-packed. It's an episode of Modern Day Philosophers. It's the podcast you downloaded. It's in your ears. You're listening to it right now. I'm Danny Lobel. I host this thing. I made it. I keep making it. It's being made. It's currently being made as I say the words it's being made. This is me making it. You're listening to it. You get it. Thanks for downloading it. I appreciate it. Please tell everybody you know about it in every situation, wherever you are. Doesn't matter how awkward it is. Whatever social situation you're in, bring up modern day philosophers. Literally put it on people's phones. Say, hey, can I borrow your phone for a quick call? Boom. Download modern day philosophers every single app. All right. I'm asking too much, but please do spread the word. And you can always leave a nice comment on iTunes on the iTunes page. Some of you are doing it and I appreciate it so much. Here are some recent ones. This one is five stars. That's a lot of stars. It's the maximum stars. It's a good amount. It says, Love This Guy by Lynn6412009. And that is her real name. She writes, Choice podcast. Totally hilarious. Intelligent. Peculiar. And interesting. Peculiar, eh? Homeboy fell off the derech, which means the road. So this Lynn, she knows Jewish talk, uh, fell off the path, the spiritual path, which is interesting for me to hear about. His humorous interviews that curiously talk of present and past philosophers is deep, deeply hilarious, and curiously spiritual. Ah, curiously spiritual. That's like someone who flirts with spiritual. Ooh, I'm feeling that's a little curiously spiritual. Slip me a little of that spiritual. Thank you, Lynn. That was January 27th, 2017. Skipping forward to February 5th, 2017. Dead Bedouins left five stars saying, love it. And writes, I may be biased because I consider Danny a friend. Thank you. I would like to say I consider you a friend too, but I don't know who you are based on the name Dead Bedouins. But uh, reach out and I'll thank you in person. He continues on. But you cannot argue that this show doesn't have amazing guests. I could argue it, but uh, I won't. Hilarious jokes and interesting conversation, plus a great concept. Subscribe to it. Dead Bedouins, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And then most recently by Las Vegas Moto Girl on February 13th, 2017. Uh, fantastic find. Five stars. I was happy to finally find some comedy and philosophy with all the strangeness and irony I sometimes find myself alone with. Great podcast for me. Thanks, DL. You're welcome, Las Vegas Moto Girl. Uh, I'd love to know what that strangeness and irony is. I'm intrigued. You know, I am curiously spiritual. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for leaving those comments. That means a lot to me, and it helps the show. I'd love to get some more up there, and, uh, you know, it doesn't cost anything, takes a few seconds, and uh, it helps. It helps. Okay. I also have a website. It's moderndayphilosophers.net. You can make a donation. That helps, too. Helps a lot. It funds the show. It keeps the motors running. And seasons one and two are available to buy on iTunes. And they've got some great episodes in them. Just off the top of my head, I'm thinking Rick Shapiro... And Mencius, uh, Maria Bamford, and Sartre, unless it's Sartre or Sartre, I'm, not, I'm still unclear on that. Uh, 
Lewis Black and William James, Bill Burr and Adam Smith. I mean, there are so many, so many great episodes. So that's another way you could support the show. Go buy seasons one and two on iTunes in the iTunes store. All right. That's enough of me uh, hocking my hocking my wares. But, you know, you get the gist of it. I'm needy. Uh, <laughs> send an email. Thecomicalyahoo.com. Say hello. I'd like to hear from you. I put a lot of work and a lot of heart into the show, and I hope you're enjoying it. And uh, please, uh, please let me know in one way or another. Okay. Today's show is brought to you by Renovatio Enterprises. This company is phenomenal. They help me so much with my credit. Uh, they offer no cost, no obligation analysis to determine exactly what is holding your credit scores down. They ask for nothing except for a $250 deposit. Uh, you pay nothing else until the negative items get removed from your score. And they guarantee you that you will get to over a 700 credit score in as little as 30 days. And they can help get you qualified for a new credit card or unsecured personal loan. That is Renovatio Enterprises, the very best in credit repair. Go to their website, renovatioenterprises.com. That's spelled R-E-N-O-V-A-T-I-O. Enterprises is E-N-T-E-R-P-R-I-S-E-S dot com. Or call them up at 888-443-2908. That's 888-443-2908. Fix your credit score today. Why wait? There's so much you can do. So much you could do when you have good credit. It changes everything. You walk around, you got good credit, you got good credibility. You're able to do things. You're, people give you loans. You can get on planes easier and faster. Get a credit card. They get you miles. Fly around the world. Buy a house. Sell a house. Get a car. Fix your credit. RenovatioEnterprises.com Also today, we are brought to you by LAJewishTutors.com Do you want to learn about Judaism? It's fascinating. I talk about it a lot on the show. I've learned a tremendous amount about Judaism. And it's been uh, fantastic for my life and changed my worldview. Maybe you just want to study the Hebrew language. LA Jewish Tutors is here for you. With options both in live tutoring and online video chat tutoring, with a range of tutors with varying backgrounds, and they will pair them to your liking and needs. LA Jewish Tutors offers you the premier service in Los Angeles with positive, meaningful, and fun Jewish learning. Hebrew language skills, bar and bat mitzvah preparation for you youngins. Uh, go visit them at www.lajewishtutors.com. That's lajewishtutors.com. Get your Jew on. I don't know if they like that tagline, but I feel it's catchy. Get your Jew on. <laughs> but it's true. They're, it's great. They'll give you fantastic tutoring, and uh, and it's fascinating. There's a whole world of amazing Jewish learning out there, and it's at your fingertips. Go to LAJewishTutors.com and check it out. All right. Well, today's episode is with a good friend of mine of many years, Ryan Connor, terrific comedian, amazing comedy writer. I think he's currently writing for Ridiculousness on MTV. He's written for many things, and uh, you probably laughed at his jokes without even knowing it. He's a very, very funny dude and a wonderful guy, a great friend. And without any more further ado... Except for the intro song, you know that. I give you my talk 
with the wonderful Mr. Ryan Connor. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Modern Day Philosophers. Modern Day Philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers all their own. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel. Modern Day Philosophers. All right, test one, two, test one, two. Sitting here with Ryan Connor. Ryan test. Connor in the morning. Test, test. Uh, good evening. Uh, I was just on someone's show where they spoke normally off air, and as soon as we started, he did the welcome to the show. Really? <laughs> yes. So weird, man. <laughs> where was that? It was a podcast that I did remotely. He felt the need to, to yeah. radio voice it. Yeah. I'll tell you about it after this. It was the worst show I've ever <laughs> been a part of. Ever. I mean, hands down. That's uh, that's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Connor in the LaBelle House production studio. Yeah, glad to be here. Glad to have you here. And uh, known you for a long time. Probably 10 years? Probably. 9, 10? 9 or 10. I like that, probably. 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 Yeah, I think 9 or 10, because I've been doing it for, for 12. I started going up to New York while I still lived in D.C. 10 years ago, or about 10 and a half. But That's where you're from, D.C.? Yeah. D.C. suburbs. Well, I lived in Southern Virginia <laughs> until I was like 11, but I kind of, you know, aside from my family there, I don't really Good associate. old South Virginia? Yeah. How come you have West Virginia? That's its own state? Yeah. South Virginia is just a part of Virginia. It's just, yeah, I mean, you know, the differentiation is that Northern Virginians and Southern Virginia are just worlds apart. And there's also, Was like, there a split? Were they once one Virginia? And then there was a mini civil war in Virginia? Well, it was just Virginia and then and then the Virginia, West Virginia split. And uh, I don't even, I, I definitely did know when that happened at some point. Because so much history happened in Virginia, you actually take a year of Virginia history in school. And I, ca I can't remember when it happened. But now it's just like Northern Virginia is, you know, it's basically D.C. There's millions of people. It's a very liberal place. And um, like, I mean, almost like San Francisco liberal, except, you know, everyone works in politics. So it's so the, so the, it's very different. South Virginia. Mm hmm. Is in North Virginia? No, 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 East Virginia. No, 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 no. Because the eastern, the eastern, the eastern board, where like from ninety five and east to the coast, that's uh, that's different from you know once you head west in the state. Because on the eastern side, even as you head south, I mean, you still have like Charlottesville, kind of, mm -hmm. it, which is you know that's like Madison as far as like towns go. If if you've been and there. this is all in Virginia proper, all in Virginia proper, and then and then like do people Richmond call it Virginia proper. They would just say Virginia okay. or the, the Commonwealth if you're uh, if you're old school. Is there a Southwest Virginia? There has to be, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is that known as Southwest Virginia? Yeah, they call it Southwest Virginia, and then there's like South Central Virginia or it's, Central Virginia. It's gotta be so confusing because you add a yeah. West to the title of your name when you when is you there already West, have West Virginia. West Virginia? There probably is, but I've only been in West Virginia a few times. <laughs> I live in West West Virginia. Mm -hmm. So where I was, I was born in Roanoke, and that's where my dad and one of my brothers lives. And that's, um, I guess, the easternmost edge of Southwest Virginia. 
<laughs> and then I then I moved to Woodbridge when I was eleven. Uh-huh. Um, it was my mom. My mom and stepdad started dating when I was like a little kid, like three or four. Mm-hmm. Um, what but, happened to your but dad proper? Dad, uh, dad proper. Uh, Southwest dad. Um, <laughs> They 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 just got divorced when I was little. Just some differences. Still in your life or no? Oh yeah yeah yep. yeah definitely, definitely. Um, much closer now than I was. So so that's really good. Um, and yeah, he he still lives in Roanoke. Yeah. Cool. And you have brothers and sisters and I have eleven brothers. Yeah, and- I have eleven brothers, no sisters. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm one of twelve. Um, the breakdown is um. So I, I'll, I'll do it chronologically. So I have one biological brother and then... From mom and dad. From my mom and dad. Okay. My parents got divorced. And then... You were how old? Five? I was two. Two. I and then... added a few. I, just, <laughs> I wanted to guess and then you'd be like, wow, that's exactly... That's so good. Yeah. You, you'll, you'll cut that out and then later on you'll guess something and put that in. And then <laughs> and have you were me what? going, that's so good. <laughs> and you were what, two? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you'll just put that in. Put that in like on a different mic too right. so it doesn't even flow. You were what, two? There's like Wendy or something. There's an ambulance in the background. <laughs> then you hear that cut. Well, that's so good. That's <laughs> Done. Um, um, yeah, so, so my biological brother and then um, my half-brother uh, through my dad and stepmom was born in 87. I was born in 80 mm-hmm. and um, maybe 86. I think, yeah, I think he was born in 87, and then 88, um, uh, my first Vietnamese brother came to the States. And then this, my, is, this is for real? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then my mom and stepdad got married in 92. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Your first Vietnamese brother, like you adopted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just came to the States. Yeah, yeah, but okay. he, he got to the States. Yeah, he, he got, didn't just have a Vietnamese brother who was waiting, and then he came to, to the States. Right, 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 right. My parents had Adopted a kid brother in, from in Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah. I had a Vietnamese right, right, brother. Right, right, just left him at the airport. It took a few years to get back. No. I always think, like, biological brother is such a mm-hmm. funny term because it's like they're all biologically. <laughs> that's a biological stepbrother. My, that's my biological brother. That's in, in, in that they are organic matter? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how else to differentiate it. My uh, or or, or paternal, is it from your biology? My paternal brothers. Yeah. yeah. So so then my parents got married in '92. Then my stepbrothers became my stepbrothers, although I've known them since I was two, and you know have been close like that. Um, and then in '94, um, uh, my Chinese brother. Um, came to the states. He was. Yeah, do you really have a Chinese brother? You don't too? know this stuff about me. No, I don't know any oh, of this. Oh man, um, I don't think I ever have conversations with people until they're yeah, on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just friends with them, and yeah. I, I don't know anything about them. So, so my first Chinese brother, or my only Chinese brother, came to the states in '94. He was a victim of human trafficking, and he was intercepted at the port in New Orleans by, I can't remember if it was um, INS at the time or if it was Coast Guard. But whoever intercepted them knew what would happen in 94 if you sent people back to China, and it wasn't good. So he turned them over to Catholic Charities. Um, it was the same way we found my Vietnamese brother, Oak. So, um, so your family are very Catholic. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So his name is actually Sun Tao Dong, but we just call it, we've always called him Dong. And then, and then uh, another Vietnamese brother uh, a few months later. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, 
my parents, you know, everyone's out of the house and they want to adopt a girl. And uh, they wanted to get someone between the ages of like, I think it's like 10 and 14 is they're the ages where no one will adopt anyone. Mm-hmm. So these kids just get passed uh, among like foster homes and stuff. And they're past uh, the cute age. Yeah, exactly. And they're close to being adults. So they're like, okay, let's just do this. And um, so they, the girls that they, that, that, that they met at these kind of adoption, like mixer kind of things, just all had been through things that my parents felt like they were too old to be able to, to deal with, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they'd kind of given up. And, uh, and then um, my stepdad talked to this, this kid, Torek, who he really liked. And goes back to my mom is like, you know, I know we already have at the time um, seven boys. Um, because, but because the reason, so my mom and stepdad only have 11, although I'm one of 12 because one of my brothers is through my dad and stepmom. Does right. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're like, even though we already have seven, um, you know, he's a great kid and I think he deserves a home. My mom's like, okay. And she meets him, really liked him too. So, so, so here's what happens. They, they wanted him and they talked, they talked to the social worker and they were like, well, here's the thing. He has three other brothers here. Everyone has like a, um, if you have siblings, you have corresponding animals on your on their name tags and he didn't want his brothers to be split up and he was scared that no one would adopt four kids together so he ripped his off so at least his three younger brothers could stay together so that just tore them apart and they were like let's just do it they took all four yeah from a terrible background from chesapeake virginia which is by virginia beach Mm -hmm. or hampton they had a they had a really really tough life. I was of, expecting of, another really like you know third world country or something. Not third, dude, somewhere exotic. It may be worse. Really? Yeah. I mean, they were they were. My brother saw me when he was what did he say he was four. He saw someone's head get blown off right in front of him. <gasps> it was bad. What in Chesapeake? Yeah, it's it's not good. Gotta I gotta make sure not to play there. Yeah, dude. I mean, I mean, if you're gonna play it, you'd be like playing in a, like a check cashing place uh-huh. but <laughs> I, I don't know what other businesses there are um but yeah they, they came from just uh i mean you you wouldn't wish it on you know the worst person on earth like i it's, it's, wouldn't even want to get into it it's so it's so bad um can but, we get into uh, it a little bit just, oh, we, I'm, we, I'm curious yeah i mean yeah we can get into a little like you know um kind of men were in and out of the house you know what I mean? The you know, and their biological mom uh, mm-hmm. was addicted to drugs, mis- mistreated them badly, and uh, you know, one of my brothers has cigar burn or cigarette burn scars from when uh-huh. he was a kid, and they ended up having to uh, just break out. Like they also had to steal if they wanted to eat. That was the only way they could eat. Wow. Um, and. The Connor house did, must have been like yeah, a huge step up for everybody when they. It did was that. It, well, yeah, but it was a uh, uh, like especially for them, it was it was a little more complex than that because they couldn't just accept it. It was you know you you, you, you come in with cynicism, you know. One of the things that got them out was their mom was being attacked by someone. And I'm not sure what, if it was over money or drugs or what. And my brother, Torek, who's the oldest of the four, um, just hit this guy in the back of the head with a lamp, knocked him out, 
grabbed his little brothers, my little brothers, and said, come on, we're going. They run. Uh, they call uh, CPS, and um, they go into foster care. They had they had sisters, too. The sisters went to extended family, but they, they were past foster care for, uh, I think it was about a year, um, and they weren't treated well there either. Like, it was like the family would have this to eat. They would have, you know, a bologna sandwich. You know what I mean? Versus like a... It's a horrible. It's, it's just... Wow. It's just shit way to treat someone. So they come over and like, you know, right when they were adopted, it was like they went on vacation the next week. Stuff like that. And, you know, got them all these things that they would love to do and you know every type of sporting equipment you could think of just so they could have fun and try new things and stuff like that and they're having so much fun but then uh you know you you also feel like well when is this gonna fall out from under me so because of that uh a couple of my brothers had some anger issues they had to really get through from yeah i bet just, just resentment from how how badly they were mistreated you know they were eventually able to uh all accept it and and just appreciate the new life that they had. But like, just to give you an example, it's, it's, uh, it was like their first Christmas morning, you know? I mean, my parents just went nuts, just everything under the sun for them. Everyone was so excited. Me and, you know, my, all my other brothers and, and my, my nephews and nieces, we came over cause we just wanted to see how excited they would be. Three of them are like running laps around the house. Like, do you see, I got this and this and this, you know, just, mm-hmm. just so excited. And then one of my brothers is just the uh, next to youngest is is crying. He's also the m- most cerebral, um, and he's just sitting there. He's just upset about the whole thing, and, and I kind of pull him aside, like TJ, what's what's going on? He's like, he's like, I, is this is this real? I'm like, yeah, yeah, this this stuff is for you. This is this is this is how we celebrate Christmas. And uh, he said that when they were kids, people from like the church and the community would donate gifts for them. And then they would be delivered on Christmas morning and their mom would say, you don't deserve anything. And she would take everything back to the store or just sell them on the streets for cash for drugs. Because they were told that they were, they were bad and they didn't deserve anything and they're, you know, couldn't be better kids. So he, he had that weighing on him. And he's he's saying, you know, I thought I thought we were bad. I thought we didn't deserve anything. Are you going to take this from us? So, you know, it, it was a little bit of a hurdle for him to get over. And, uh, um, you know, he he worked through it, and he's he's such a such a great guy. I'm thinking I have a friend who's in therapy because he says because his parents got divorced and it messed him up when he was mm-hmm. younger. Wow, I think. Your parents, when they got divorced, your mom had like the most brilliant idea <laughs> to surround you with kids who have it so much worse than you would. Ne- <laughs> <laughs> you would never be able. Yeah, it's yeah. Like you, the divorce yeah, I can't really complain about anything. Mess. Well, your brother had to take a lamp and escape. Yeah, they never saw a soccer ball. You're like, all right, fine. The divorce is fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, dude. That's, were, that's really funny. Were you ever allowed to feel bad for yourself as a kid? I mean, I, I guess I could. I didn't really. I mean, if you know, I dealt with depression too, just like a lot of people do. But it, 
it had nothing to do with my family. But this has got to have changed your perspective on, yeah. on, on, on things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when things are bad, you know, I, I can't really dwell on them for more than a few minutes because I know it's not really bad. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's interesting to, and I also wonder as a comedian, like what you've, how it's affected your work ethic. I work hard as shit. (laughs) Um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think about it sometime, uh, sometimes like, I don't know what I attribute it to, but I, I mean, I, I work, I, I write more than. I, I don't want to say more than anybody, but but uh, even I wrote for two years before I did stand up. I wrote stand up. Wow. Um, just wrote and rewrote, wrote and rewrote, which is how like I was, you know, I was featuring at improvs when I was like six months in because I I, I had written so much and uh, yeah, and since you know ever since then, like I've always made a point like if I'm not doing like a writing job like like I have been in the past few years, I you know I would sit down to write four hours a day sometimes five wow um and it's not always writing stand-up it's stand-up or scripts or something but i'd always be writing something that amount of time i don't think you can write stand-up that many hours eventually it, it all sucks i think after like an hour of stand-up in a day yeah. it starts to turn it into all garbage unfunny and you're like, yeah, what was yeah. That? What it's was too the analytical yeah. and not funny who was the driving force was it your stepdad or your biological mom or my mom uh it's who? both it's both. They they really, um, they're both just really passionate about. This about is like stuff amazing. Like so they just yeah. adopted four siblings together. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I kind of want to adopt now, just from hearing that an older kid. Yeah, but I think it's more because you said you only you know they move out in a few. Years. But you're still you're still responsible. You know, you still have the emotional. <laughs> I feel um, like I could adopt a kid yeah. for the next year. Seventeen <laughs> <17 laughs> year old. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's like the dream. Yeah, just just nope, get some. Nobody else wants the seventeen year old. Yeah. I bring him in for one yeah. year, and I'm a hero. It's like you move to a town and you don't have any friends there yet, so you adopt a seventeen year old, so you can just have someone to hang out with. <laughs> yeah, and right. everyone's like, you know, it's a little creepy that you're always hanging out with that seven. That's my son. That's my son, man. That's my son. That's <laughs> all he's doing, George. Yeah. You adopt him like you're a Yankees fan now. You're a Yank watch Yankees Yankees game with your dad. <laughs> That'd be a great scam. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden this kid's like like mowing your lawn for you and everything. Yeah, <laughs> you could, yeah. could, cleaning the house. Yeah. You couldn't afford a, a cleaning lady or a gardener or anything, so you adopt a seventeen year old. <laughs> well, you know, you say that, but that's how a lot of people abuse the foster system. Really? Yeah, yeah. They bring people in and just have them basically working for them. Yeah, that which is why they try to get people into permanent homes because while some foster parents are great people, um, some also what a horrible take system. advantage. Yeah, it, it's always so weird to me that there's like people out there that are just uh, up for grabs. Mm-hmm. They're up for grabs people. Yeah, isn't that kind of strange? Like that concept. Like I guess you've never been up for grabs in your life. I've never been up for grabs. I've never been up for yeah. grabs. But there are people out there who are like, yeah, you, you could just take them. It's got to be, uh, yeah. I mean, especially yeah, my Chinese brother when he came because he was brought over by the Snakeheads, which is a Chinese gang that basically smuggles humans in, and they ah the Snakeheads. Have you heard of the Snakeheads? No, no. I'm... Uh, the South South Park did an episode about them. <laughs> oh, really? But generally, the American media ignores them 
um, even though they're they're brutal. They they bring people over and then they hold them as slaves for a long time. Usually, a lot of Chinese restaurants in New York, <laughs> people are locked in uh, rooms where they're bolted in from the outside. And you're kidding, really? Yeah, because w- what happens is they bring them over um, under the pretense that. You know, we, we've got papers for them. They're going to be able to go to the United States, get an education, all this stuff. And they get here and they go, oh, no, no, you're smuggled in a boat. And the interest rate on what you like, you only paid, you know, X percent, like 10 percent of, you know, the 80,000 or whatever. And uh, you you have to pay off the rest of it by working for us. It's wow. It's insane. And they're bolted into Chinese restaurants. They can't leave. Mm-hmm. That's how my brother was. Yeah, he was bolted into a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, in the Bronx. How yeah. old was he? Um, well, so here's so here's what happened. Here, this was his whole thing. So he came in '94, and um, that's when he was, you know, with us. And then a year and a half later, he gets a message that the snakeheads are going to kill his family in China. What, how did he get a message like that? Is it a text? From his family. Because his family knew where he was, but the snakeheads didn't know where he was because so, he got away. How does it come in? A telegram? No, in just a letter from China. Yeah. So the letter comes in the mail to the Connor house? Yeah, from, from, his, from his family, not from the snakeheads. And what's, but, his, what's his name? Sun Tao. Hey, Sun Tao. Hope everything's going well over there. Just heard from the snakeheads. They're going to come and kill us all. They're going to kill us all and you when they find you. If 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 you love mom and if dad, you don't work for them, um, yeah, that letter arrived. Right. Wow. Right. And it's wow. And it's one of those things where I mean I can't remember how much it was. It was like seventy thousand or something like that. Mm-hmm. My parents don't have seventy thousand lying around, but even if they did, that wouldn't satisfy the loan. Why not? Labor. The whole the whole point of it is to get labor for free. So um, he just goes, I'm I'm sorry, I have to. I have to do this, and he goes to New York, and he works for them. We, he would he would head out every I think it was Friday night or Saturday night to get to a payphone to call us. Got robbed multiple times and um, like gunpoint, and uh, he worked for the Snakeheads. Yeah, he had to. He he ended up doing it for about a year and a half, or however long it was. Or no, I think it was two years. It was a year and a half or two years to pay it off, and um, um. Yeah, he would work, I think it was 16, 18 hours a day, seven days a week. The only day he got off was, I think it was, what was it, what New Year's Day or something like that. There was like one day of the year that he would get off and um, like 20 of them would sleep on the floor above this Chinese restaurant where they would be bolted from the from the outside. And then once it was all paid off, he knew that even though they're still keeping them there, they won't come after him if it's paid off. So he's able to sneak out and he calls my mom and just says, please meet me at Times Square in Times Square at midnight. So my mom and stepdad just drive up to New York and <laughs> get him away from them. And uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's an amazing person with wow. an incredible story. Yeah. That's insane. I can't yeah. believe it. Yeah, it's crazy. Our, so our, what did he our do? immigration officials know about this and there's just okay. No. It, it was it, nearly impossible so, for you to be lazy. I think it's I think it would be. Your I, brother I, was I can't a even, slave within yeah. your lifetime. Yeah, so so I, I Unbelievable. When you have that you you can't complain like, ah shit, I got a right tonight. You know what I mean? You can't complain about that. Is there any way to stop the snakeheads? No one gives a shit. 
No one gives a fuck. It's because they, people don't want Chinese food They like their fucking Mugu guy pan. Yeah, that's and exactly yeah. what I was saying. Like, yeah. I, I, this how, is not how a many, sexy issue, you know? When you go around Manhattan, let's say, how many of the people that are working in these Chinese restaurants are there as slaves? So I interviewed my brother because I, I want to write um, a, a screenplay about his journey here. I, ha- I have him on record saying uh, or talking about this. And I said, you know, what percentage of of New York Chinese restaurants have people who are brought over like that and they're being forced to work there? And he goes, oh, all of them. I was like, all of them? And he's like, I mean, maybe not not some of the nicer ones, not the nicer ones, but like the carryout ones. He's like, yeah, they're they're all, they're all, that's what all of them are. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and. I mean, he could be off. I hope he's off, and it's just based on seeing it from his lens, you know, <laughs> of, of his experience. Yeah. Um, but if he is off, it's it's. I Can't mean, even if it's ten percent, I mean, that's fucking insane. There's a there's a Chinese place every block in New York. I don't think you should ever trust an organization that has the word snake in their name. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's it's the it's the symbol of distrust. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. Well, that makes me happy that I, I, you know, that I don't eat at those places because I'm kosher. I never yeah. go to those places. You. But when I wasn't, I used to go to them all the time. Yeah, I stopped. I, I, I didn't. When I lived in New York, uh, I did not eat at one of those places. Yeah, I used to. Yeah. Yeah. I was probably supporting slavery without even knowing it. Yeah. And and then like I think back, like what about times I might have complained about my order? Like mm-hmm. I'm sure that happened. I mean, I I vet them. Now, I mean, I I asked him about. It. I did like a two hour and maybe three hour in depth interview with him about this, about his experience, and I was like, so, you know, what restaurants in New York, you know, ha- are using this labor? What Chinese restaurants? He's like, I mean, pretty much all of them. Say <laughs> so maybe not, maybe not like the the higher end ones, but like all the carry out places. Yeah. Are we even allowed to talk about the snakeheads? I'm nervous. I, I'm honestly nervous. Really? Yeah, yeah. But because here, so his, not his attorney, but it was someone. It was an attorney from his because he had a long immigration thing um, case, and uh, it, it took forever. But uh, I think it was his attorney's partner or something like that was going to court, and you know, it was something. Where this, you know, the snakeheads were being exposed and tied in, and and he didn't show up to court, and like two weeks later, his body was found in Rock Creek Park, in D.C. Yeah, I like it. it honestly does. It honestly does scare me. It does scare me too. Now, yeah. is there a way that we can both speak badly about the snakeheads, but also appease the snakeheads? Right, right, right. I mean, they're not all bad. <laughs> Some of them are very nice snakeheads. Yeah, they, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you said South Park did a thing about the snakeheads. Yeah, that's the only time I've ever seen them referenced in, uh, in like mainstream stuff. What was the thing South Park did? I can't even remember now. I think it was about how people know, people in law enforcement know what they're doing, but they ignore it. I'm pretty sure that's what the episode was. I can't remember though. That's a crazy thing. Yeah, it's insane. Sorry, you know, sorry for human trafficking is like one of these things that you hear a lot about. Yeah. Mostly when you're in airports and you see ads. Yeah, yeah. Now, now they have ads like this. They, 
You know, it's kind of like uh, I, I saw this whole ad campaign. I think it was in Phoenix Airport where it was like human trafficking is happening all around. First, it was like this really hot girl and she was like, you know, in a picture to show mm-hmm. that she's a prostitute. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, catches your eye because she's a hot girl. And then you're like, they made that hot girl into a prostitute. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Then it's just like this guy who's got a lot of acne who's like 30. <laughs> and then you're like, I don't care about that guy. <laughs> what was he smuggled in for? <laughs> What, what, what do we need him for? I just remember having that thought. I'm like, That's hilarious. That's bad casting. <laughs> I felt really bad. You know, I was like, you know, I don't, I obviously I don't care about that guy being trapped. Right. Like, go back to the, go back to the girl in the skirt. She looks so innocent. She's, <laughs> right, right. So sad. What did they do to her? Right. Forget about that guy. You can have him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Mila, she's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's the only time I've seen anything that kind of tries to raise your awareness about it. Yeah, there's very very little awareness. Yeah, how many people are being trafficked? Do you have any idea? I don't know. I don't know the numbers. I don't think I don't think there is. I mean, I'm sure there are estimations by like Amnesty would probably um, put a number on it, but I don't know. It's a lot because there's also trafficking for different reasons. You know, there's there's labor and then there's sex. I mean, if you don't count that as labor, but you know what I mean. The whole thing is very strange about humans and how they come come to be taken care of by other humans that's crazy man you know it's there's some people that have a kid and they don't want the kid Mm -hmm. then there's some people who are dying to have a kid they can't have a kid yeah and there's some people that want to adopt a kid and the adoption places won't let them adopt Mm -hmm. then there's people who the adoption places let them adopt and then they abuse the kid yeah it's like it's it's like all mismatched. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It's like we got to get rid of the shitheads in the world. Right. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. We got to filter out the shitheads. Yeah, yeah. We get rid of them. We're we're smooth sailing. It's crazy. Yeah. And then there's people who can't have a kid, so they plant a kid in somebody else to have the kid. Oh right. Right. Like uh, what's it? Sub, not subordinate. Um. That's um. Uh, Kid planting, I think it's kid called. Kid planting. Kid planting. Sorry. I, I didn't go to med school, <laughs> yeah. so I, I always forget that. So there's people planting their kids and other kids, and there's people getting rid of their kids, and there's people yeah. saying, let me get that kid, and there's people yeah. saying, you can't have that kid. Yeah, yeah. And then there's people saying, ah, that kid's too old. I don't want that kid. Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah, there's a lot of categories. It's a lot of... It's, yeah. It really makes you feel lucky that... And then there's people who are born to parents who want them, and they're like, I wish I was never born. I know, I know, I know. And the kids, I wish you weren't my parents. Like, you have any fucking idea. <laughs> yeah. I don't like you guys. Now yeah. drop me off at soccer yeah. practice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every kid should watch videos of those other kids. I know. To appreciate how they have it. Yeah. You know? Ah, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I'd phase you this this hard. I feel like I phased you because it's it's this weird thing, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just so it's it's so strange. I like I was talking to somebody recently about they wanted to adopt a kid. It took years for them to get approved to adopt a kid, mm-hmm. and then they had to pay a tremendous amount of money for that kid mm-hmm. to adopt a kid. Yeah. You'd think. You would get paid a bunch of money and it would be expedited. <laughs> yeah, not the case. It's so strange. Not the case, yeah. It's like, ah, we have a kid here that nobody wants. You want it? Yeah. 
You can't have it. Ten thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, that's pretty much how it goes. But I thought nobody wants it. Yeah, nobody wants it. But but now that you want it, yeah, no one wants it. But like, I need to eat. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then they make you pay ten thousand dollars to adopt a kid. Mm-hmm. Why don't you say, "How about let me use that ten thousand dollars towards the kid"? I know. I don't know. Who gets the ten thousand dollars? I don't know. I guess I don't know if it's social services or or what. And you come from this incredibly question. charitable family. I didn't mm-hmm. know any of this mm-hmm. in Virginia proper. Virginia proper. And um, and you're friends with Alex. I am, as well as being friends with me. Mm-hmm. So usually I explain who Alex is to people, but you know who Alex is. I'm, I met Alex. I want to say about six years ago. Maybe no, maybe more. We were doing a. We were both on the same. I don't want to say what show it is, but just terrible show in New York. That it turned out we would both do regularly. You won't name the show, but you name the snakeheads. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. The hell you put us all in jeopardy with naming the snakeheads. I don't want to put everyone to tell feelings. you whose show this is. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, <laughs> but it, it, it's 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 such it, it was such a bad show. And uh, sorry, sorry. and um, <laughs> we were like. You know, I, I thought he was funny. He thought I was funny. Yeah. And we started talking. We, we both would regularly do the show because we were just in disbelief at how bad it was. Mm-hmm. So we would always just, I would do it like every three months just to see, like, is it any better? Right. <laughs> and never, never. Yeah. All right. So the philosopher that Alex picked out for you is John Don. I want to say John Don. Dunn. It's D-O-N-N-E. How would you pronounce that? Don. Don. John Don. Well done. Well done. John Dunn. Yeah. John Dunn. Every time uh, he finished a piece of philosophy, he'd slam it down on the table and be like, Dunn. John Dunn. Done. <laughs> Done. I'm out. So so what you have in common is that you grew up in a multiracial house. How did John Dunn grow up in a multiracial house? He, is he the, like 17th century <laughs> England? Uh, I, I'm I'm not sure with the if I haven't fin- finished the sentence. Oh, yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he, he might have. He, might, he, yeah. he actually grew up in your house. Uh, yeah. Alex writes that Ryan grew up in a multiracial house with a black stepfather, and people in his Virginia town would not talk to him. Is that true? Some some people. Well, in the uh, yeah, in the town I lived in until I was 11 when I moved to. Uh, DC suburbs. It, it was uh, there were two poles of people. So there was the town, uh, which is where I lived, and the lake, which were both uh, relatively progressive in all senses, um, racially very progressive, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the rest of the county, the rural parts of the county, um, were not so at all. So the lake people were were cool. The lake people were cool. The town people were cool. Uh, yeah, a, a lot of the the people who live in the rural areas, which I didn't even realize that those were um, the markers for it until, I mean, a few years ago, one of my brothers pointed it out to me because I, I asked him if he was also cut off by people. Um, and he said he was. And he was like, yeah, but did you notice it was just the people from the country? Everyone from the lake and the town were, were all cool. It's because they were chilling so lakeside. When you're hanging out by a lake, you can't you can't get too angry. Yeah, exactly. All the hate just floats away. Yeah. Well, you know what it is every everyone from the lake were like, I mean, ninety percent of them were wealthier people who moved down from New York um, just because it was cheaper. And you know, it was just they just came from uh, so a more weren't, progressive uh, background. And the people in town 
where you know when you when you live on you know relatively on top of each other you you learn that oh people aren't awful just because they look different from you you know yeah and the people who are in the country you know they have that uh um and not necessarily everyone does but a lot of people have that skepticism of the others you know what because I mean? they're isolated yeah yeah which is a perfect lead-in All because right. today's philosopher talks about isolation Hmm. Um, and that's the uh, that's the thing you guys have in common. Alex felt that you uh, felt isolated in in your Virginia town, and uh, so, m- maybe he he had it a little wrong. He still knows more about you so than it's a, it's a right idea than I did. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Devotions on emergent occasions done wonders if a dying person is too sick to know that he's dying. He argues that many healthy people live in this state egotistically unaware that death is imminent and universal. This lets them imagine that they're better than other people and making them apathetic to the suffering of others. We should focus on death, he says, because when we are painfully aware of the human condition, it breaks down any illusion that we are different from our neighbors. This is like perfect. This is perfect, Alex. Wow. This is perfect for what we were talking about. Yeah. This is the only way to be truly empathetic. Dunn says suffering is good if we learn from it. To use suffering improperly is to wallow in it or to be callous towards it. Both are born from ego. For example, if you see a child dying from cancer, you can cry and secretly worry about your own death and not his. Suffering should inspire a meditation on the fragility of life and your duty to those who suffer. Otherwise, suffering is meaningless, and we all die miserable and alone. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? I mean, I, I couldn't agree more, man. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. I mean, ego is is the downfall, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just I have nothing to add. I think he covered it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it highlights the fact that you can see somebody reacting to something and you don't even know what's going on in their head. Mm-hmm. Like the person who's crying because when they see the boy suffering from cancer, you, you could be thinking, oh, he's so empathetic to that kid, but right. it's really selfish. Oh, I'm going to die. I might have cancer someday. Yeah. Right, right. Which is, I mean, it never even crossed my mind that people would be upset for themselves in that situation. But of course, yeah, of course that's the case. It didn't cross your mind because you grew up the way you did, probably completely selfless. Yeah. It, well, well, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's what you strive for, but I don't think, I, there's no way I'm completely selfless. I try, I try to n- not to be selfish, but oh, yeah, I, elaborate scheme for yeah, your parents. I, to I did. I did have a conversation uh, a few days ago. It was with a a doctor and a non doctor. It was like a not not in a medical setting. It was just a, a casual conversation. A doctor and a non doctor and a non doctor. Yeah, and uh, the doctor uh, was describing this procedure that went wrong um and uh they ended up they ended up it it was a yeah it it was basically a a surgery on someone's spine and it went wrong they were able to mitigate the damage though and uh the other person in the conversation was really shaken by it. my my thinking is like wow. the non-doctor yeah and i'm thinking i like I, that we're calling it a, the, non-doctor. a doctor and a non-doctor it's like a title oh i'm a yeah. non-doctor so so i'm sitting there going oh my god like what 
what what what are the implications for this person? Like, uh, how are they feeling? This 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 other this other person's like well, the non not the non doctor is very upset, and this doctor was great. Like, it was she was exactly who you want to be a doctor, just the most caring, empathetic person, you know, and. Um, and, uh, the more we say the non-doctor, by the way, the, the, non- the more I think it's somebody who comes into Indian restaurants and fix the non-bread. <laughs> <laughs> we have our sous chef, uh, our pastry chef, our non-doctor. Why she can't go by chef? She prefers doctor. I don't know. The garlic, we don't question it. The garlic naan is fine, but the pashwari naan, I don't know what's wrong with it. Bring in the non-doctor. <laughs> So yeah, so uh, the the tandoori chicken girl, she uh, you know she's a really good person too. But she was like she was you know looked even more affected about by this than than me and the doctor. So uh, non doctor or it was asked, "Are you all right?" And she's like, "Yeah." I was just thinking like, what if that happened to me? I'm thinking, what? But she's a good person too. But yeah. I'm just thinking like, how does that even cross your mind? Right. It did happen to this person. Yeah. So who gives a fuck if it could happen to you? It did happen to a person. Saying you don't, you don't ever really know. Yeah. And, and, and what's I didn't going even, on? I didn't even fully process it like this until you're saying this now. Yeah. Well, I hope you never talk to that non-doctor. <laughs> They're good people. What you are missing from the Pashwadi non is people. coconut. You need yeah. to put more coconut. Oh, that non-doctor's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I have a paragraph here. I always ask the guests to read the paragraph and we'll discuss it. You ready for yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Yeah, this is this is great. Didn't know it was John Dunn. Yeah, it's amazing. I feel like this is a perfect fit for everything we talked about with your family. Like, yeah, yeah, about how no man is an island. It's kind of how you were raised. Your your family yeah. instilled that in you, and it rings for thee, Ryan. It's so great. It's yeah. it's so great. I think in the uh, inscription before "For whom the bell tolls," this this whole paragraph isn't in there. I think it's just the first sentence and the last sentence. Yeah. Yeah. So what what else do you take away from it if anything? I mean, just that there is there's an interconnectedness and responsibility that we have for one another and when when one person suffers, we all suffer. I mean, especially applies to globalism now, you know, and you know, when when there is war in Sudan and uh Libya, it does matter to us. Yeah, it I, should I always think Americans us. are so disconnected from it all. Like, yeah. They don't even realize. People just go, Africa. They think Africa is just a place. Dude, I had an Uber driver, this guy, Mecca, right? And uh, His name was Mecca? A Mecca. E-M-E-K-A. Uh-huh. And I asked him if he was Nigerian. And he's like, I, he's like, I am. How do you know I'm Nigerian? And I was like, ah. Uh. I was like, well, there's a basketball player named Mecca Okafer. And I had a college professor whose last name was Okafer, and he was Nigerian. And he goes, yeah, you had professor from Nigeria? I can't believe in America, Nigerian professor. I'm like, yeah, it's not that, it's not that crazy. 
Um, I love the excitement he was, from this guy. He was so excited. So <laughs> it was like a 35-minute ride, and we had such a great time. He was this, just the sweetest guy. And it was funny. He said, because uh, I asked him, I was like, when you talk to other passengers um, and they hear you're from Nigeria, like what what's the, their reaction? He was like, they're surprised I speak English. Like it's, that's the language there. They speak right. English is <laughs> Is their native language, and uh, he's he's like. Then they think that Nigeria is like Rwanda, so everyone always over tips me. And we, <laughs> Nigeria is, has the same infrastructure as the United States. They <laughs> they happen to have a terrible terror group, Boko Haram, now, but infrastructure and and you know business it was you know at least good before Boko Haram rose. But uh, he was like, yeah, people, Americans just generally don't know the difference. It's just, oh, Africa. Oh, that sucks. You know? <laughs> but he was the coolest dude. So he took me to LAX. And when he got when he got out of the car, he hugged me. He got my suitcase out and hugged me and says, best of luck with your travels. Wow. I'm terrible with accents. but <laughs> <laughs> It's all right. You, you nailed the enthusiasm. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. He, he was awesome. You had it. A professor from Nigeria. Yes, that's it. What? You? How? In America? How? How could this, this be? Amazing. This is amazing. Yeah, and he kept saying things like, only in America. This <laughs> is so great. Like, <laughs> this man, he came from Nigeria to come to America to teach you yeah. in my car. And now you remember his name? Praise the Lord. This yeah. is the most amazing thing is, I have heard all day. This is right on. <laughs> that is perfect. That is perfect, man. <laughs> I am going to die happy now. <laughs> All right, you want to you want to take the first quote? Sure. My weakness is from nature who hath but her measure. My strength is from God who possesses and distributes infinitely. I say that all the time. No, no, that's so Danny. I re- I thought that was one of your quotes, actually. But, yeah, I mean, I think you said this at uh, at Passover. Uh, <laughs> I mean, actually, that might be a time when you I you were say slightly that. drunk and you kind of you mumbled. My you texted it to me. This is from nature, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so I, I mean, I disagree with this one, but uh, I I like the sentiment. So why do you why do you disagree with it? Well, I mean. I, I think we all we have, you know, there there's an innate um, goodness and strength. It's just a matter of of uh, you know measure and countermeasure from the the more primal um, urges that he's you know referring to as weaknesses from nature. You know, like for you know concern for self, egotism, and stuff like that. I I don't think we're only responsible for the negative. And not for the good as well, mm-hmm. you know. But I, I, you know, nothing wrong with the sentiment. I think it's a good sentiment. What do you think? I wonder if he got screwed over a bunch. <laughs> is that is that how it reads to you? <laughs> I yeah. feel he might have. I mean, yeah. Oh, we actually forgot to uh, to look him up. Well, let, I usually do that really quick. Let me do. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me let's take a look a little bit about him. January twenty second, fifteen seventy two to yeah. March thirty first. 1631 mm-hmm. is when he lived. He was an so English he's dead, quite dead. He was a contemporary of Shakespeare. So he had the same collar in the picture. Oh yeah, it must have been like the look. Must have been. Where was he? London. I wonder if he shopped in the same place. Yeah, he was Probably an English did. poet. Same neck place. And a cleric of the 
Church of England. He was a cleric. That's where that last quote comes from then. Yeah. He's considered the preeminent representative of the metaphysical poets. His works are noted for their strong, sensual style and include sonnets, love poems, religious poems, Latin translations, epigrams, elegies. Is that how you say that? Yeah. Elegies, songs, satires, and sermons. Yeah, he must dude, have been like specialized, man. He must have been in competition on some level with Shakespeare. Yeah, I, I, I'd say you know, focus on your strengths, John Dunn. You know, it's like twenty different things. Come on, <laughs> I'll, I'll himself, give them sensual though. That's a good. That's a good description. John Dunn uh, spread himself much too thin. Too thin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> His, poetry, His wife always said, "John, focus on your strengths." <laughs> His poetry is noted for its vibrancy and, of language and, and what the fuck's an elegy? Um, I don't even know. Should I look it up? Do you it, know? It ha- it's it's related to a eulogy, but I can't remember the difference because I remember recently I was trying to remember. I was like, is it is an elegy a eulogy for someone who's not dead yet? And then someone's like, no, dummy. I I can't remember what they told me it was, but it's not what I thought it was. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's relating to death. Maybe maybe is, is it like a. a eulogy written in you know in some sort of verse or something i don't know it says the greek term elegia elegia originally referred to any verse written in elegant couplets and covering a wide range of subject matter in english literature an elegy is a poem of serious reflection typically a lament for the dead so okay were, yeah oh so i got it right at the yeah, end yeah poems for the dead huh yeah that's this guy cool. was, he was a pretty morbid guy. I kind of like that, man. He's writing poems for the dead, but then everybody's crying, and he's saying, I don't know if they're yeah. crying for the right reason. I think they're being so... <laughs> Despite his great education and poetic talents, Dunn lived in poverty for several years. Told you he got screwed over. Yeah. Uh, relying heavily on his wealthy friends. He spent much of the money he inherited during... And after his education... Do you think he would come at them with the uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls speech to get some money? Yeah, anything. Dude, if I'm hungry, that, that, that bell is tolling for thee, all right? That's, that's, not, that's not just my bell, all right? You'd go over his house, he'd be, yeah. he'd be writing something, be like, oh, what, what are you writing? Oh, I'm just writing an, uh, an elegy for my own funeral. Yeah, dude, yeah, I just and, need a quarter for some ramen. Come on, come on, man. <laughs> Listen to this. Most of the money that he inherited during and after his education he used on womanizing wow he was married wasn't he um that's uh i i don't i don't want to out him man (laughs) (laughs) d'angelo russell over here yeah um i don't know i mean he might have been i didn't get to that part yet in 1601 dunn secretly married Anne moore there you go okay with whom he had 12 children holy shit in 1615 he became an anglican priest although he didn't want to take anglican orders he did so because king james the first uh persistently ordered it in 1621 he was appointed the Dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Wow. He also served as a member of Parliament in 1601 and in 1614. Man. It is thought that Dunn's final illness was stomach cancer, although this has not been proven. He died on March 31st, 1631, having written many poems, most of which were circulated in manuscript during his lifetime. 
Don was buried in Old St. Paul's Cathedral, where a memorial statue of him was erected, carved from a drawing of him in his shroud with a Latin epigraph probably probably composed by himself he did write his wow own. he did that's awesome damn i can't believe i got that it's like mozart i'll tell you about that after this if you want it's yeah really cool dunn's monument survived the 1666 fire and is still on display in the present building wow what happened with mozart so mozart uh there's the movie amadeus which is kind of a great it, movie it's one of my favorite movies ever yeah. and it's loosely based on what happened the salieri stuff isn't true um they were like contemporaries but not like i mean it, it's like uh, mozart was jordan and salieri was a guy on the bench it's it well, but still everything from, at least tell me that his wife called him wolfie i think so i think so <laughs> wolfie, so, wolfie. <laughs> stanza yeah um but uh yeah so a requiem in, in classical music is a funeral mass. He did die while composing it, and it, it's my it's my favorite piece of music. I'm actually seeing L.A. Phil play it this coming weekend. It's incredible. He's the most prolific composer in history. Like I think he died at like 36. I don't know. I don't think anyone, may, maybe Hi, or, uh, Haydn may have written more symphonies than him, but Haydn only wrote symphonies. Uh, Mozart, I think, wrote 43 symphonies. Mm-hmm. Beethoven wrote nine. Just to give you an idea, and Beethoven lived forty years longer. Um, Mozart wrote more operas than almost everyone. He he wrote more all, like concertos than anyone. Died at thirty six, and everything he wrote was genius. Right. So this Requiem, I think, is the most impressive piece of music. He worked himself to death writing it. I think that it's kind of mystery over you know do you have syphilis? Do you have something else too? But you know, it, it's one of those things where he worked around the clock, like which made him. You got to be careful. You don't become like that. You're a crazy work ethic. I try to sleep. I slept yeah. like three hours last night. Wait, wait. I wrote five hours today. Inspired by a guy um, who killed himself writing your favorite song because he worked too hard. So, so it he makes d- perfect sense he, that that would be your favorite. So he piece died. Of music. I think it's. Uh, I think it's eleven movements or twelve movements. He died while writing like the ninth or tenth one, whatever it was. There was there were two or three left, mm-hmm. and one of his students had to finish it just based on the it's progressions. A job did a great job. That's the thing. I didn't even know that a student finished it really? until like, you know, I'd known the piece for fifteen years at the, the, that point, and I heard it. And I was like, oh, that's that's amazing. It still sounds like Mozart. I mean, it's just crappy that you're like, oh, your teacher yeah. died, and then you go, ah, oh, that sucks. And you, you got a lot get, of work to dude, do here. Funerals for- on Thursday. Can you like finish this up? <laughs> he died from writing this. He he died while writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is it safe? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So that was another guy who wrote his own uh, elegy. And, and he played it at the funeral. <laughs> Probably not. He was buried in mass grave. He died, uh, I think, in debt. Like he, I mean, he because. He pretty much refused to write commercial music, which yeah. would be like uh, the equivalent of like cabaret opera. Uh-huh. He wrote like really mostly dark stuff, and some stuff was just like risque, like like Marriage of Figaro is about a prostitute settling down <laughs> to marriage. You know, uh-huh. Don Giovanni was was a is a morbid uh, opera about his his father's death. You know, this this just kind of larger than life figure dying and don giovanni was unfaithful with women 
I can't remember. I only know the music and not the story. Because I think when I was in Italy, that they they were saying like a Don Giovanni is a guy who like who's not faithful. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe because it could be. I I met this girl at the cell phone shop and I was asking her because she was single and I said, oh maybe you should meet my brother. He's single. I'm married, but. You should meet my brother. And she's like, I hope he's not the Don Giovanni. I'm like, what? Is, no, he's Josh. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Close. Close. He's I'm Josh. Like, what are the chances? I mean, yeah, yeah. Who's this Don Giovanni, an ex-boyfriend? And this yeah, is a, yeah. No, the Don Giovanni means he's a, he's a player. He's a Don Giovanni. <laughs> I think that's what she said was called, the Don Giovanni. Yeah. Uh, all right. Here's another quote from uh, John Dunn. All right, enlarge this meditation upon this great world, man, so far as to consider the immensity of the creatures this world produces. Our creatures are our thoughts. My thoughts reach all, comprehend all. That's a bit bold. Uh, inexplicable mystery. I, their creator, am in a close prison, in a sickbed, anywhere, and any one of my creatures, my thoughts, is with the sun and beyond the sun, overtakes the sun and overgoes the sun in one pace, one step everywhere. I think, I think, uh, Lauren Hill said this one better. Everything is everything, right? Isn't that what he's saying? Pretty much. I think so. Maybe. Yeah. It's, I mean, this guy, like, I think this is when he was, he must've been going crazy at this, but I'm bigger than the sun. Uh, overtake the sun. Yeah. I'm on the other side of the sun. Um, well, I'm God. We're God. We're it. The things is stuff and stuff of the things. Like I this don't is a even lot, know. This is like the the first humble brag, but it was yeah. not even like a humble brag. It's just a brag, I guess. Yeah, it's just my thoughts overtake the sun. They overtake the world. They're yeah, bigger than the world. What, what's he really? I think he's. To say? I think he's saying like the. It's more like the the royal eye, right? I would hope so. Otherwise, uh, I mean, otherwise he's a real dick, and this <laughs> <laughs> this negates everything else he said. Um, inexplicable mystery. I, their creator, in a close prison. Sick about anywhere. We're all connected. Any, I mean, you guys are. You guys are. I'm kind of like on my own thing right now. Like, I got like a side project going from you guys. Um, yeah, I don't really care for this one. <laughs> maybe, maybe Alex can email us in yeah. and tell us why why he picked that one. I think there's probably some deeper understanding that we're not getting. Yeah, I don't know. It's a bit. Uh, what's he saying? His thoughts are much bigger than he is. I get. I because yeah. he could be trapped and he's in. He could our be in a sick bed. Yeah, 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 yeah. His thoughts can can like go I guess over so. the sun and and reach anyone. Like they're and, reaching and, us and, right now. I mean, right. And he did it without social like, like, media. Like David Brent said in uh, The Office, a good idea is a good idea forever. <laughs> <laughs> well put. <laughs> Give us our yeah. last quote, will you, Ryan? Um, when God's hand is bent to strike, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But to fall out of the hands of the living God is a horror beyond our expression, beyond our imagination. Danny. If I beat you, that's better than me leaving you. <laughs> I, I think that's the, that's the gist of that that's one. That's probably what your brothers were told before they escaped. It's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> I took it a little serious it's there. True. But it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You leave me, you won't have shit is what, yeah. Yeah. I don't like the way they paint God, the the, the Christians. Yeah, it's a little, uh, little frightening. No, it depends on what, what sect, too. Yeah.
I never think that way, and I, I'm a God believer, but I never mm-hmm. think of of God as it's, uh, yeah, I think as that... a fearful thing because you only exist. You know, if you believe in God, I'm I'm speaking for myself. Mm-hmm. I believe in God, mm-hmm. and I believe that God would not create you to destroy you. Right. If you exist, it's because God is a yes. loving God to to allow you to exist. Right. The very fact that you exist mm-hmm. is thanks to God in every second. Right. So you're always in the hands of God. Right. So how is he as a God believer saying if you fall into the hands of God, you're always in the hands of God? Right. Falling out of the hands of the living God is a horror beyond expression because beyond imagination. I guess he's saying like if you fall out of your relationship with God. But I don't I don't like that quote. But at that all. also that's not congruent with the first quote about um when he says, My weakness is from nature who hath but her measure, but my strength is from God who possesses and distributes infinitely. So in that one he's saying all good comes from God and bad comes from nature, right? Mm-hmm. So if the good comes from God and the bad comes from nature, then how can you be held responsible for anything if God didn't give you the good to to negate the weakness? Right. You know, if he's saying that if he's saying that God distributes this, this evenly, but you're gonna fall out of out, out of the hands of God, wouldn't that be God's fault then? I would have to think again that it's, he's talking about you can never really fall out of the hands of God, but you could fall out of your relationship with God and sort of go astray from God. I think if I'm, you know, that's my best guess. But then is that even, is that your fault then? Because if, is, is it just nature? Is it nature or is it is it a, uh, did God neglect to instill the strength? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's an argument. I guess any relationship takes upkeep, though. So on some level, you could blame anyone for your relationship not mm-hmm. working out. Right. And you could say, look, I didn't, God didn't make me like a one-woman yeah. man over here. Like He yeah, probably yeah, would have yeah. argued as a womanizer. Yeah. But, you know. Look, I'll just say this. Uh, when I was a kid, my brother Brent hit me in the nose a few times. Hurts getting hit in the nose hurts like shit. So like anything I had to do to prevent God from hitting me in the nose, I think I'd do. I don't I don't want to be struck by God. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not I'm not a believer, but, but it sounds think, horrible. I still think that God is not striking people yeah, of course. in the nose. I you know, I think but I guess you could argue that, you know, people who are suffering are getting struck in the nose by God. That's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. But there, there's yeah, yeah. other ways of looking at that too. Yeah, but then, then based on his quote, that puts the the onus on the people who are being struck on the nose. You know, <laughs> good where it belongs. See, <laughs> take it, keep it. You asked for it. Oh, it's kind of like your your brother's situation with with the snakeheads. Like, ultimately, was it bad? It was definitely bad, but it was ultimately better, probably than the alternative, which would have yeah. been. Um, not having the help of the snakeheads, right? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy to look at it like that, but probably so. Yeah. So maybe you know, even in that situation where they're getting hit in the nose, 
it's better than the alternative of God not giving them life to get hit in the nose. I don't know. Maybe. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Here's what, if I had to grade Alex's uh, choice of philosopher, I would say perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Everything fits. The synopsis, perfect. Paragraph, couldn't be better. He gave us some shit quotes. <laughs> I think I think Alex gave us some shit quotes. <laughs> he really screwed us on the quotes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, it was great catching up with you. Thanks so much for doing the show. No, thanks, man. It's a pleasure to be on here. I love the podcast. So, I mean, I, I was excited to to do it. Thank you. Thank you. I think we'll have to end on this. Take us away, Mozart. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Mozart. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And thanks again to Ryan Connor. Like I said at the top of the show, please support the show by going to moderndayphilosophers.net, making a donation, by going to the iTunes store, buying seasons one and two, or neither, or both, or one, uh, or two. Or you can go to the iTunes store and click on Modern Day Philosophers under the section Ratings and Reviews. Please leave a five-star review like the ones I read at the top with a nice uh, little blurb, a nice commentary. It, first of all, it makes me feel great. It's, uh, it's, it's wonderful for my self-esteem and all the many hours I put into the show. But also it helps get the show out there to other people. It works with the algorithm that iTunes has to make the show more prominent on the list of podcasts. So in theory, when people are searching for a podcast, it, it shows up and they can say, oh, look, let me check out Modern Day Philosophers. And then... More people listen, the show grows, it continues, I continue to do it. You get it. Just help out a little bit. It takes like two minutes, and it goes a long way. Thank you. Thank you. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, Okay. By the way, I'm down 36 pounds since I got robbed. Highly recommend getting robbed at your barbershop. Not really, but it's it's been pretty good for me in terms of uh, I got the ball rolling, and I'm sticking with it. I'm down 36 pounds. I'm going... For the full thing, I'm hopefully going to get in shape. I'm going to try and take off over 100. So I'll I'll keep you posted on my progress on that. I hope you guys are doing great out there. I hear from some of you sometimes. But for all of you that I don't hear from, just know that I'm wishing you well. All right. Next episode is the season finale. It's a good one. I can't wait for you to hear it. Thanks for tuning in. And if you want to hear more of me in, in between... uh. There's always the Mostly Bull Market podcast, which you can go check out. The most recent episode features my friend, comedian Jason Webb, and he's absolutely hilarious. It's a great episode. So if there was ever a time to start listening to the Mostly Bull Market podcast, I'd say go check that episode out. Very good. Okay. Have a great week, everybody. I'll see you. Well, have a great few weeks. I'll see you next time with the season finale of season seven of Modern Day Philosophers. Goodbye, everybody. So long.